Welcome to our Clothed with the Sun daily podcast, our meditation and reading of the Gospel of the Day. I am James Thomas. Today is Thursday, November the 9th, 2023. It is the feast of the dedication of the Lateran Basilica in Rome. Today's reading is from the Gospel according to St. John. Since the Passover of the Jews was near, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple area those who sold oxen, sheep, and doves, as well as the money changers seated there. He made a whip out of cords and drove them all out of the temple area with the sheep and the oxen and spilled the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, take these out of here and stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples recalled the words of scripture, zeal for your house will consume me. At this, the Jews answered and said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Therefore, when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they came to believe the scripture and the word Jesus had spoken. So, once again, our Lord is so smart. <laughs> he is the smartest person <laughs> by far, infinitely more smart than anybody that ever lived. And he just, the way he writes his own story, and I mean, I know the Holy Spirit is working through him and God the Father is leading him, but it all just comes together so perfectly. He goes into the temple, which is what? I mean, it's the place where people meet God. It's the most important place. God made us for heaven. He made us for him. The temple is where people go to get ready for heaven. The temple is where the connection takes place. And these people, especially the leaders of the time, are very far from God. So it's only natural that their temple is going to be a disaster. And Jesus goes in there. He's been there many times. But now he has fully embraced his role as Messiah. He's fully taken it all on because he is man. He's come to us as man. He's growing. He's developing. And the plan, the program, his mission is developing and it's come to a high point. He's about to offer his body on the cross as he mentions, and it will rise in three days. So he drives out those who are doing things that are inappropriate for the temple. There's all kinds of sinners all around Jesus. And normally Jesus is greeting them with great patience and kindness and gentleness. This is what Jesus does. But it's only the religious leaders and now the religious place where Jesus loses his cool. Jesus, and, and that's the wrong way to say it, but Jesus exercises anger. Anger is an emotion. It's not necessarily a bad thing. We choose what we want to do with our emotions. Jesus is letting out the anger. He's flipping over the tables. He's spilling the coins. Imagine these people are all about their money. He spills it over. You've made my father's house into a marketplace. Notice when it comes to the doves, he yells at them. He doesn't do any act of violence against them. 
And those who sell the doves, remember, when Jesus was presented in the temple, they offered a pair of turtle doves. The turtle doves, the doves are the offering for the poor. So he doesn't spill their money. He doesn't release their doves. He says, take these out of here. Get rid of them. So he's a little bit more lenient with those that deal with the poor and those reminiscent of his own, uh, you know, birth and background and presentation. He is probably remembering Our Lady and St. Joseph. Well, he was a baby at the time, but still, he's heard the stories, I'm sure. And he knows that's would have been the case for them, for themselves due to their poverty. So, and then the words of scripture, zeal for your house will consume me. The word house means so many different things. And the fact that zeal consumes us, consumes him and should consume you and me. And then he uses the analogy of his body. This is the sign he will give them the body. And they're like, oh, the temples, 46 years. The reality is his body is the temple where God and man meet, where the human race and heaven come together. It comes together in his body. On the cross, in the church, the body of Christ, in Holy Communion, So his body and the temple are the same. And just as they've desecrated the temple, they're going to desecrate the body of the Son of God. All these things come together. It's absolutely brilliant. And there's so many things to talk about here. We read this reading when we celebrate this feast, the Feast of St. John Lateran. It's the official church of the Pope in Rome. And it's in honor of St. John the Apostle. It was founded in honor of St. John the Apostle and St. John the Baptist. And we do believe that the church is made up of God and his people coming together. This is the church. It's the body of Christ. But still church buildings are important because they represent the body of Christ, but also they're Jesus's home. It's where the Eucharist lives. It's the new temple in a way. The church, I mean, yeah, the temple of his body. Jesus is the new temple. The church is the new temple insofar as it gets that power from Jesus. And then these physical church buildings are sacred places because it's where the church meets. It's because where it's where the body of Christ is housed. So, and we are not just to have respect for all these things. We're supposed to have zeal for them. Jesus is in love with us and with his father and his mission is to bring us together. And so he is zealous. It's the greatest showing of emotion that happens in Jesus's life. This passage right here, he flips out because as he has said in other places, the Pharisees have become an obstacle. If you've seen, O brother, where art thou? I want to say the word obstacle so badly, but anyway, it's an obstacle. The Pharisees are an obstacle. The marketplaces are an obstacle. What we have done with our faith in this culture in the past 40, 50 years, I mean, that's all I know because this is how long I've been around, but we have made obstacles to the faith. We've made our parishes about other things. We've made our schools about other things, our churches, our leadership. It's all become all about other things rather than being about holiness, 
Holiness is the mission of the church, bringing together God and the human race. Salvation. This is why these buildings were built. This is why uh, poor immigrants and little old men and little old ladies put their, their pennies together to build these churches. You ever notice the churches in the inner cities built by poor immigrants are the most beautiful buildings on earth. I live near Philadelphia or even Wilmington, Delaware. You go over to these old, old, old churches and they're breathtaking and they were built by poor people. Nowadays, rich people build new churches in the rich, newer neighborhoods and some of them are just plain ugly. And, I, you know, I'm not an architectural genius myself, but I, I think a lot of people would agree, especially in comparison. But even just the architecture itself has meaning. When these old churches were built and they are high churches, they are vertical, they go high, they have high ceilings with a steeple, in some cases maybe a dome or something like that. But the point is, you go up the steps into the church, the altar is even higher up, the sanctuary is high, then the ceiling is very high. What does that say? It's about we're supposed to be brought to a higher place. God dwells in heaven, and we are called to consider him and to consider heaven and to long and yearn for coming out of our secular life into the life of Almighty God. The church building has so much meaning. Nowadays, churches are built with low ceilings, and they're in the round. Why? Because we're focusing on the city of man instead of the city of God. Let's focus on each other. Let's have long signs of peace with big handshakes instead of right after the consecration, focusing on God and preparing to receive him in Holy Communion. When we go to church, for so many of us, this is the one time we get to go vertical. In other words, focus on our relationship with God. The church represents the vertical. We live our whole lives in the horizontal dealing with each other, dealing with ourselves, dealing with our lives, dealing with physical stuff. One hour a week is the obligation to go vertical. We should be going vertical a whole lot more than that. And yet, what do we do? Where is our focus? Our focus is, well, we don't want to have the church too high, plus that costs more money. Never mind um, when it comes to controlling the temperature in the church, it's better to have high ceilings. Well, in the summer, (laughs) in the winter, I guess you lose heat when the ceilings are high because the heat rises. But you know what? So be it. And so be it if you have to wear a coat or in the summer you have to actually dress modestly because we want our architecture to inspire people. Everything about that church should inspire people to pray. So this is what Jesus is zealous for. He's going to die on a cross for this. Imagine something that means so much to you, you would die for it. The best example I can think of is People out there thinking about their children, their families, their grandchildren. You would die for them. You would sacrifice everything for them. Well, this is how Jesus feels about the human race. He's going to die for us. And so the place where we go to get saved, once again, his body, the church as the body of Christ, the church as the temple of the Holy Spirit, and then the physical church buildings, these are the most important places. Prayer is the most important thing. So now I'm going to go into my own, and this isn't just me. This is how the church, this is what the church teaches. This is how we're supposed to be. Zeal for prayer consumes me. Zeal for the Eucharist consumes me. Zeal for the church building consumes me. 
And it brings me back to the reception of Holy Communion. I have a funny story to tell. I'm going to tell this story. I don't tell it very often, but I, because it's a little bit embarrassing, but it's a great story too. Uh, Cardinal Burke, many of us know who Cardinal Burke is. He's uh, one of the top cardinals in the church. I believe he's retired now, but still he does a lot. And he's a good, good man. And he's done a lot. And he's one of the more conservative and, and faithful to church teaching, very traditional cardinal who, of course, started as deacon, then priest, then bishop, now cardinal. And he's just a good, good man. Well, he used to be the Archbishop of St. Louis before he became a cardinal. And my grandmother, when she was still living, lived in St. Louis, and she lived right across the street from the cathedral. So one day, this is about 20 years ago, I was visiting her, and I said, I'm going to go across the street to pray a little bit at the cathedral. They had an adoration chapel there. And I actually knocked on the door of the rectory and I said, is there a priest available to hear my confession? I wanted to go to confession. And the Monsignor, rector of the cathedral, was a very nice man, came to the door and said, sure, I'll hear your confession. Real, real nice guy. And we went into his office and he asked who I was and where I was from. And I told him like very quickly, I told him my whole life story. And so he knew everything about me. And he remembered my name and everything. And um, I, I went to confession. And then he said to me, uh, "Do you? what do you think about Archbishop Burke? And I said, oh, you know, I think he's great. He said, well, what do, what do your, your friends back in New Jersey think about him? And I said, well, I said a lot of the older people in the church and older priests, you know, aren't really crazy about him. They think he's too conservative. But the, the younger people love him. He's like a hero to us. And he just had written a letter defending the Eucharist and how we're supposed to receive the Eucharist and things like that. And he said, okay, that's good to know. Anyway, the next day... I had been visiting with my grandmother. The next day I went over to the cathedral again and I went into the adoration chapel and I'm in there praying and I'm all the way up front. I'm right in front of the Lord and I'm looking at him. We're there face to face, me and Jesus. And as I'm there praying for maybe 40, 45 minutes, two men come in and they proceed to stand right behind me and they start having a loud conversation. And this happens to me a lot. I imagine it happens to a lot of people trying to pray and people come in and talk as if you're not, as if everything's fine, you know, like they, as if it's just any other room in any other place. Anyway, I didn't turn around, but very often I just try to set a boundary. I just ask people, hey, could you maybe take that conversation somewhere else or could you please not talk in here? Anyway, I didn't, I continued to look straight up at the Blessed Sacrament, but I said to the two men behind me, Without looking at them, I said, could you guys, uh, do you you guys see me here? I'm trying to pray. Could you take your conversation outside? And they said, sure. And they walked out. And about 10 minutes later or so, I finished my holy hour. I got up. I walked out of the chapel. And standing there behind the chapel were the Monsignor that heard my confession yesterday and Archbishop Burke. And I was horrified. And I said to the two of them, oh, I am so sorry. And they were both so good and so humble. And they turned to me and they said, no, you were right to say that. And we're very sorry. And I said, oh, my goodness. (laughs) And I laughed and I said, well, I got to tell you, I'm a big fan. And Archbishop Burke said, well, thank you. I need as many fans as I can get. He was so humble and he was so good. And the Monsignor introduced the two of us because he remembered my name and everything about me. And now I was doubly embarrassed. Uh, But we had a very nice exchange and I went on my way. Um, Once again, these are, I think we would all agree, 
for myself and for uh, Cardinal Burke that we love the Eucharist and we believe in uh, respect in church, respect especially for people praying. When it comes to how we receive communion, it's so very, very important. The saints tell us that the most important moment of prayer is when you receive communion. So many saints have written about how to receive communion. St. Faustina talking about Jesus's words to her, that my people receive me as a dead object, but if only they would give me their attention and their love. And also it's a recognition of this isn't just Jesus. This is his sacrifice. This is his body broken for us. His blood poured out for us. Jesus says, if only to sister Faustina, if only they would open up their hearts to me, if only they would be attentive to me, I then would have the ability to enter in and just fill them with grace and mercy and love. I would fill them with so many good things if they only were open to me and open to receiving me as they ought. St. Catherine of Siena, St. Teresa of Avila talk about it in their writings and in their lives and a lot of other the other female mystics of the Middle Ages. You see people that just went into ecstasy after they received communion. I mean, I think there's a lot of people nowadays who do this. Pope John Paul II certainly did it. They go into ecstasy after they receive communion and nothing can shake them. For me, if you come up and grab me and after I've received communion and now maybe after mass, I've been in prayer for a couple minutes, I'll probably jump and scream. That's how I react. And I don't mean to. It's just that if I'm opening up my heart to the Lord, this is why he died on the cross for us, by the way, so we could have intimacy with him. There's nothing else. This is the most important thing you will ever hear. Intimacy with Jesus is the reason we exist and it's the reason he died for us. And it's the reason he got so upset in that temple because they were obstacles, obstacles to the intimacy. So yes, when I'm trying to have intimacy with Jesus and I feel myself just going deeper and deeper in love with him and in connection with him. And if somebody like grabs me on the shoulder because they think they're funny or maybe they want to have a conversation or something, usually I jump and I scream because they're pulling me out of something that is just it's more intimate than anything on earth. And do you hear what I'm saying? More important than, more intimate than anything. Would you interrupt a couple being intimate? You know what I mean with each other? No, we would give them their space. Even if they're in sin, unless that's your kid or something like that, we give them their space. We don't want to be involved in that. We don't want to interrupt things that are happening that are of the most intimacy. We leave people alone. We let them be. Then why is it in church we don't allow people to be one with Jesus? And the, the reason is most of the time it's because these other people, and I'm talking about the majority of churchgoers, never mind all the people that don't go to church, but the majority of churchgoers don't have that experience of intimacy with Jesus and therefore they think nothing of it to interrupt everybody else that's trying to pray. They think nothing of it because they haven't experienced it. I feel so bad for people that have gone to church for 80 years. Sometimes they've gone to daily mass for 80 years, and yet they act like it's any other room in the world. They act like the Eucharist is eating a cracker, eating a pretzel. As Jesus says in the Divine Mercy Diary, they receive me like they're receiving a dead object. I feel so bad if you've spent your life practicing your religion and you have not had intimacy with Jesus. I feel so bad for you. I just, I feel so bad because you've missed it. 
And, you know, I don't know exactly what purgatory is like. I mean, I've heard some great talks given on it, but I hear that it's about a place or a state of being where we we become intimate with Jesus. We learn how to love him. We learn how to become one with him. And it's painful at that point. See, in the world, it's filled with joy. It's love and joy and peace to become intimate with Jesus. It fills us with peace. And I'm sure in purgatory that happens too, but there's also the, a pain in purgatory. There's a purgation for sin, and it is a sin to ignore God, especially when he's in your mouth and then being received into your heart. It's one of the greatest sins. I mean, I'm not saying all you people that have gone to church faithfully every day your whole life are in mortal sin. I'm not saying that. But to knowingly ignore him when he's right there, I can't imagine. And this is what he talks about in the Divine Mercy Diary. They pass the church. They don't acknowledge me. They come into the church. They don't acknowledge me. They receive me. They don't acknowledge me. St. Louis de Montfort talks about receiving communion with Mary. One of the best ways we can learn how to be intimate with Jesus is just to ask Mary and especially bring her into all the important moments to receive communion with her, to pray the mass with her. When the priest is holding Jesus high above the altar, that's Jesus on the cross. Guess who's kneeling at the foot of the cross? It's Mary. Mary knows how to receive him perfectly. Mary knows how to offer him perfectly. Mary knows how to worship him perfectly. She's there for us, for you and for me, to show us how to pray, to show us intimacy with our Lord. She was the most intimate with him as of, of anyone that ever lived here on earth, any human being. And so she shows us how to receive him. We will grow in holiness to the degree that we receive Jesus devoutly, and we will receive Jesus devoutly to the degree that we ask Mary to help us with it. I think of so many success stories, like when teaching, um, so many beautiful things happen on retreats. I, I always make this one of the big themes of my retreat, how to receive communion properly. And sometimes kids have reactions because they have demons on them, because they've never prayed like this, but they've played with Ouija boards and stuff like that. They've done drugs, they've used pornography, and they have stuff on them. And you see things manifest when they're devoutly receiving communion possibly the first time in their lives, they've actually talked to Jesus. They've entered into it. And then I've seen great success stories of kids after maybe a couple days of a good confession and really devout holy hours and communions that now they're in love with him. Now they cry when they receive communion. It's so beautiful. And I've had kids after a good retreat, you know, after being with them for three or four days, they call me the next day and they say, Hey, do you think you could open the church for us so we could have adoration? They ask things like that because they've fallen in love with Jesus. I am a third order member of the community of St. John, and I just love this community. I've been doing retreats with them now for about 25 years, and they, they get it, and they convert people just by people attending their masses because of the way they treat the Eucharist and the way they treat the Mass and the way they treat communion. After receiving communion, there's some quality time of meditation at the end of mass. They always, they do it so well. First of all, there's a community in there. So they always have each other's backs. If somebody starts talking in church, 
it's like, all right, out of the 20 or 30 of us that are here today, whose turn is it to go get them? And usually it'll be one of the brothers, one of the sisters that just very politely goes up to the people and says, oh, hey, could you come here? And they bring them to the back of the church. We ask that we have silence in the church. Can you have your conversations out here, please? Because we're still adoring Jesus. Very quiet, calm, peaceful sort of a thing. But we're adoring Jesus here. And then there's that example where they're just devoutly praying before him. Sometimes, you know, to see these people in habit and they're going down, they're lying prostrate on the floor, you know, praying before the blessed sacrament. Um, but another thing they often do is they'll invite everybody to lunch after mass. But lunch is at one and mass ended at about 1240, which means, guess what? There's going to be about 20 minutes of just quiet adoration before Jesus. And you get swept up into it. Everybody starts doing it. It's really good peer pressure. And then after you do that a few times, it's like, how did I ever live? How did I ever go to church without doing this? And now suddenly you enjoy going to church because you can't wait to be intimate with God. Whereas how very often we think, oh man, I got to go to church. And this is once again, the people that go. Oh, that priest, he preached so long and it's so long and I can't believe and I got other things to do and the football game's coming on. Man, the way somebody looks forward to their wedding night, once again, is a tiny fraction of how we should look forward to heaven and yet receiving the Eucharist is a foretaste of heaven where God wants to fill your heart, your soul, your mind, your body. And he wants you to just fall deeply in love with him and experience his peace, his love, his joy. It's so much greater than anything the world could ever give. So this is what the Lord asks of us. Intimacy. And Jesus. Imagine, I once again, I, I know sometimes people don't like this image. You know, the Bible uses marital imagery for to talk about the relationship between God and man. Imagine if you're being intimate with your spouse and you're deeply in love with this person and someone is actively trying to distract you and to, uh, you know, uh, trespass on that, you know, get in the way, whatever, intrude. Imagine the anger you might feel. Well, that's the anger of Jesus today. When we read this gospel, how dare you take my father's house and turn it into something that it's not whether you want to call it a marketplace, whether you want to call it a circus, whatever you want to call it, you're taking the most important thing, the reason I'm going to die on the cross, and you're making it a joke. And this is why so many people have left, because they don't have intimacy with God. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to form that intimacy with for ourselves with God in our own lives. And then Let the chips fall where they may. Let people know, hey, you know what? I'm going to church today because I'm in love with Jesus. And you're welcome to come and enter into this too if you want. But, man, I feel so bad for people that don't have it. And for those of us that do experience this, praise the Lord. God is so good. And this is where we realize it. In prayer, in intimacy with him, we realize just how much we should long to follow him with all our hearts. Hope everybody has a great day. God bless you.